painstakingly hit play on another episode of Two Girls, One Podcast, a comedy interview show scripted entirely by ChatGPT, then synthesized using a library of voice samples labeled Lady Game Show Host. And now here are the bots who will say anything I type into this Google Doc. Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford. Yo, yo, what's up, peeps? I am Lindsay. And I'm Allie. And this is Two Girls, One Podcast, where we find cool things on the internet to talk about with you. Yep. <laughs> That's a good tagline. You know? Yeah. It, after four and a half years, we finally got it. <laughs> I'm very excited about today's guest because I am scare sighted about AI. Very scare sighted. Uh, I think it's taken over fast. <laughs> I am concerned. I have concerns. I have concerns. <laughs> and we're looking at uh, specifically robot lawyers today. Will they replace my parents? I don't know. <laughs> it's so funny because it they say robot lawyers, but it's not it's a not. robot. No, that would I picturing um Johnny Five. You guys remember Johnny Five? <gasps> I oh. love short circuit. Oh, yes. I'm of picturing course. Johnny Five coming into the into the courtroom. It's Johnny Five. <laughs> my robot lawyer is either the 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 robot from um Short Circuit, which is like a cute little robot, or the robot nanny from the Jetsons. Mm, Rosie. Oh, yeah. Rosie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Well, I think this is more like an app that you hold in your hand, <laughs> which is so much less exciting. We should write them and tell them they should get an actual robot. Mm-hmm. Truly. And put a suit on him and give him a little briefcase. <laughs> robot lawyer. It's Johnny Five. He's a robot lawyer. <laughs> Coming to Disney. This Plus. is why people are afraid to have actors in corporate settings. Yeah. <laughs> because of our ideas. The ideas are not going to work. No, we can't. no idea is a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. We, we can't slough off any of the. We have to try it all just in case. Yes. Yes. And good ideas are adjacent to bad ideas. Exactly. Did you know that YouTube started off as a video dating site and now it's YouTube? Did it really? It's, it did, I yeah. read that once somewhere. You might want to yeah. fact check me. No, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Matt fact checked me. I, fact, I just did it. I fact checked you. Yeah. Okay. I would never do that to you, Allie. I think a video dating site is a great idea because so often I match with dudes and I'm like, oh, wow. And then I like do some stalking, find a video and I'm like, nope. <laughs> oh, that's so well, sad. Well, just like, them, whatever. They probably do the same. They probably watch a video of me and they're like, wow, that voice is high pitch. I can never hang out with that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a two way street. It's fine. Like, we don't want, we're just not a match. You know, you just see people where you're like, oh, you're like a lot broier than I thought you were going to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because in texting, we make up a story in our mind. Mm. Yeah. I was made for the 90s. I think that in the 90s, did I would like in the really... 90s. You did it. You... Perfect. No, I wasn't. What? I was made to be an adult in the 90s, which I was yeah, not. I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But then you'd be old now. Yeah, but I would be happy. Older. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, I think that like I would really rock a coffee house scene like mm-hmm. someone who was wearing a lot of flannel 
with holes. Okay, but what about the fact that there were almost no black people on television? <laughs> I'm still not on television, part? bro. And all yes, the people who are adults in the 90s. You have been on television. Okay, <laughs> yes. But now, like, Cheryl Lee Ralph, like, everyone who is get nominated at the Golden Globes is 50 or older. Like, no one under 30 is winning a Golden Globe this year. Hmm. Lindsay, that's perfect because you are I'm over not 30. 50. <laughs> <laughs> not, literally no one under 40 is getting a golden globe or an oscar this perfect, year perfect because you are turning 40 why this are you perfect. saying that out loud this let's is scratch perfect. this scratch, scratch this from the record this, no i'm just uh, kidding yeah. it's fine well you might want to scratch it because in in this industry sometimes we have to be ageless so it's up to you i trust the 2g1p audience to keep the secret of my real age <laughs> You know what? Okay, Lindsay's always like, I look like a child. And I'm like, I don't know. But then the other day I thought I saw you and the girl turned around and it was a child. (laughs) And I was like, all right, Lindsay wins. (laughs) Also, I'm never saying I look like a child. I just don't, I don't think I read as my age. But the other day I was on a hike and I said, I'm a millennial with Gen Z tendencies and I immediately slipped and almost fell down. <laughs> and I was like, oh, the universe does not like me to say that. And I agree with the universe. That's yeah, correct. God did not care. For I mean, that. I love no. Gen Z. I love them. Everybody shat on millennials as we were coming up. I don't necessarily blame them. And I feel like we all understand that Gen Z is better than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think everybody has their, their strengths and weaknesses. And every generation, like you, it's like saying that the Zodiac makes sense, that everyone born in this 30 day period is the same. But they're like, yeah, as a generalization, everyone born in this 10 year period is not the same. Some of y'all are trash and some of you are going to solve cancer and some of you are Cheryl Lee Ralph. (laughs) It's like, we don't know. For sure. I agree with both of you, but the social awareness of of Gen Z makes me optimistic. My one uh, fear is like, save us all. I, I hope that they're okay. It's sort of like mental health wise like imagine growing up with instagram and tiktok in your pocket no, like not that's okay. horrible we're the almost sort of the last generation that remembers the time before the internet you know I and i think nothing. that's well that's 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 a personal problem the epitome of what it means to be a millennial correct so you were born before yeah before cell phones now, i do think it's wild that like I remember when I got Facebook, we had a normal childhood, and then I got Facebook in college. I graduated. The entire world changed. But I still resent that I was educated for an old world and Mm. let loose into a new world. Yeah, that's also very interesting from a transitional generational standpoint. I agree with you. I have strong Gen X tendencies as well. Like, I was the last person to join Facebook in my residential college. Like, everyone was like... Why don't you have Facebook? I was like, we already have a Facebook for Yale. Like, <laughs> it was why an actual I don't want to be f- everyone at Harvard that I want to be friends with. I already know. Like, I don't need Facebook to creep on other kids at Harvard. This is the most elitist thing we've ever said on the podcast. By okay, the way, you said it, not me. Just for the record, <laughs> you said it. Think I was thinking about this the other day. Think about how antiquated the word Facebook is. It is the most ubiquitous ne- social network on planet Earth, and it's talking about a college book that you get when you from in the 1997 like it's so weird it's yeah. outdated because now we have johnny five the robot <laughs> amazing okay um, but for real we should tell people what we're talking about today there is an app called do not pay and uh, you download it and it offers you different services to kind of get out of stupid things so i've actually used it before 
I used it in one specific way, which is it would give you a full credit card number that would work for the free trial, but then not be charged ever. It wasn't able to be charged. So it was perfect because you'd get your, your free trial and you wouldn't worry about like forgetting to cancel and then it charges you. I used it a couple times and then, I don't know, I guess the websites found out and the fake credit card numbers stopped working. So it's like spins up a dummy credit card so you can yeah. do a free trial of Netflix and then Netflix is like, all right, time for the bill and then they can't charge you because the card is gone. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, you don't get, you don't keep getting the service, but there's yeah, so course. many services where I'm like, I really do just want to try it out or I just need it right now and I'm not going to need it in a week. Right, right, right. Hot singles near you. Just, exactly. just stuff like that. You, you know, know just, sailors I'd like to fuck. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just made up but um yeah sailors so, i'd like to fuck <laughs> i just said whatever came off the top of my head it's it was an sales. exercise it was an improv exercise for me wow you know do <laughs> i'm on a boat motherfucker yeah, I just, <laughs> I just had to. okay lonely island anyway i love the lonely island they weren't sailors they weren't sailors. But um, do not pay us other services. I haven't used the other services but i think actually i think i used one once where it like goes through your um, bills and tells you subscriptions that you pr- that you could cancel that maybe you didn't even realize you were still being charged for, which was also cool. Yeah, that just happened to me. Goddamn Universal Studios. Yeah, but it was like a little sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> you paid for a lifetime pass to Universal Studios. Apparently, like, I was paying monthly to go to Universal, <laughs> which I haven't been to since October. Oh my god, Matt, when are you gonna? Matt, when are you going to bring your children to Anaheim for Disney and Lindsay and I will come meet you for the day and we'll just join your family? That would be I mean, so fun. I'm not opposed to it. Oh I, my gosh, would, I'm such an expert now. If I'm and not, when we go, we'd but, probably end up in Orlando and we were yeah. considering it this year, but we were like, for the price of four days in Disney, we it's could insane. fly to Hawaii for two weeks. Yeah. Or, you it's know, so, so insane. Should yeah. we meet you in Hawaii? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, let's, let's, I'll meet you there. Come February break. No, we're going, we're actually, we're going to Mexico. We just, we're escaping to someplace warm. Yeah. That's our plan. Disney World is too much. Mm-hmm. It's so overwhelming. Disneyland is so manageable. A little more chill. Yeah. You, you can do Disneyland. You can do everything you want to do in Disneyland with two kids under 10 in two days. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll go we had that talk. Um, anyway, Do Not Pay has some new services. <laughs> and one Sometimes of them I is forget that, that we're not just hanging out. I'm so, and that is my bad. That's the point cool. of this. It's cool. like unprofessional. <laughs> well, the reason that I don't like that you forget that is then I think sometimes you forget that I want to hang out with you in real life. Because <laughs> you're like, I see Allie all the time. And I'm like, I, I haven't saw seen you. you in months. No, I yeah. literally thought that because you went climbing <laughs> with Celia again. <gasps> I went climbing with Celia twice. Okay, but um, Lindsay and I actually, I want to announce that we do have plans. And the reason I want to announce it is that we are going to see depths of wikipedia we have tickets oh yes i was gonna be doing a show that night and for a bunch of reasons i canceled the show not not an interesting story but it's totally fine so Lindsay and i are going and i'm excited and we we should email her Lindsay, and let her know yeah when is our date is our date it is it is february 2nd february 2nd yep i have it in here annie's show yeah listen to the depths of wikipedia y'all and we will do a a recap show about the show Mm -hmm. yeah love that I'm excited. Robot lawyer. Okay. (laughs) It's going to, you can take this into court with you and it will fight your case for you. I believe this is like lower courts. Like if you want to dispute a traffic ticket, traffic ticket, it listens for you and then gives you responses. I, uh, I'm not sure if that stuff is, is listening, but I, I think it's just like sifting through court records and what and 
case law and then being like, just say this and you'll get out of your ticket. But is it giving you live advice? I think I don't is. know about yeah. that. But but the big but the big scheme that they're running now is is more like that, as you were alluding to, right? Yeah. But I think originally it's like you can use it as a research tool, not yes. as like a and then you so. argue these facts for yourself. Right. And that's a that is a good distinction because it's like, is this just a new tool or is this taking away is this the beginning of taking away jobs and we don't know so we got a lawyer yeah (laughs) even though all new tools take away some jobs but the idea is that they create different jobs i don't know if someone does this someone and actually it is scheduled to happen in february (gasps) they're gonna pay that person a million dollars if they use the robot lawyer to argue in in front of a federal court supreme court Supreme Court. Wait, really? Supreme Court? Yeah, that's what they're saying. I, but like, I, you know, we'll ask our guests, but like, I don't think, I don't think any of this is allowed or legal. To, yeah, like, to actually. I want to get a parking ticket just so I can dispute it with yeah. the AI robot and then get a million dollars. I currently have two parking tickets. I do too. I have, I have one that I've not paid. I believe paid. the million dollars is only if you get to the Supreme Court. So if you're fighting a traffic ticket all the way to the SCOTUS. What happens if you never pay a parking ticket asking for a friend? Then you go up to the Supreme Court and then they put you no. in federal prison. No, that's, that's what not I understand. True. Your car gets booted and towed. <laughs> if you never pay it? If you never pay it. And you can't renew your re- registration. Oh. oh. I have one that I didn't pay for so long that now I'm scared to look at how much it is. Yeah, girl, you need to pay that. <laughs> I'm scared for you too. <laughs> Does it just it, keep doubling? It must max out, right? I don't know. <laughs> it has to max out, but right. it's scary. Caps it's just crazy that it's like I miss paying my meter by eight minutes, and now I'm Ugh. gonna owe two hundred dollars. Right? Like, that's I know it's so crazy, fucking stupid. Yeah, and it's really scary because, like, you know, I'm okay, but there's a lot of people less financially okay than I am who are yep. also getting tickets, and it's mm-hmm. like, what? Mm-hmm. Tickets are absolutely insane. They're like the medical bills of of bureaucracy. <laughs> yes. It yes, doesn't you make don't know sense. How much it's going to be. It's yeah. different in every neighborhood and just right. you're just like, "Oh, oops, I owe hundreds of dollars today." Right. Yeah. Fucking and like crazy. if I if I am struggling so much that I didn't pay this $3 in the meter, maybe I need help and it's not to pay $73. For my three dollars, like the fee is outsized to the crime. <laughs> I actually really like the comparison to medical bills, where you're just like, "What's it gonna be?" You know. Although California is making that illegal, it could put you in a sudden part of a sudden point of debt that you will find like overwhelming and sometimes insurmountable. Not the not the parking tickets will be insurmountable, but like. If you maybe are, yeah, if you're struggling and you're like, I need this $120 to feed my family, you're going to lose your car. And then it's crazy. And I think there actually are concessions if your car is your home, which is wild. So they know that some people are struggling and yet they're not really fixing the over the structures. They're just like making concessions. If you can figure out to prove that you're living in your car, it's right. And then like, the onus paid, is on you I to prove so that. so many taxes. Can you not charge me so much money for a ticket? Anyway, right. uh, well, robot lawyer can uh, dispute parking tickets for you. I think it's been able to do that for a while. Um, just like the written dispute and stuff. But um, well, 
I'm excited to <laughs> talk to our guests and learn more. Yeah. But first, Matt, is there trivia? Yes, we have to do our trivia. It's coming at you. Here it is. Uh, today, we're talking about lawyers and the law and the future of legal practice in our technological age. But today's trivia is going to go back. We're going to go back in time to everyone's favorite time. Say it with me. 16th century France. You didn't say it with me. Oh, okay, I was going to say again. 1990s Atlanta. <laughs> I know, that's what I was thinking. I was like, Lindsay, 90s, you just said it. <laughs> 16th century France, though, sounds pretty rad. Isn't that when Alexander Dumas, he's black, y'all. Oh, very nice. Um, hey, you know, I think there was some plague and, and uh, bad stuff going on at that time, so I don't, I don't know that I would go there, but a young lawyer named... Bartholomew Chazenay. Oh, I love that name. Yeah, there, there's probably a French pronunciation for both names that I'm not saying, uh, so bear with me. Um, you may not have heard of Bartholomew, but he goes down in legal history books because in the city of Autun in central France, Autun. he took up a case against the Catholic Church. Have you heard of them? I've heard of the Catholic Church. Yes, I've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> got, okay, good, good. Okay. They're pretty. They're pretty well known around these they're, parts. They're pretty big. These yeah. parts being Earth. Uh, the church <laughs> was bringing criminal charges, except they were not against a person or an organization. Who or what? was Bartholomew defending in ecclesiastical court that makes him a footnote in legal history. Was it A, he was defending a group of rats that had eaten the local farmer's barley crop? Was it B, he was defending a windmill that had broken down and maimed two children? Or was it C, an anonymously authored book that condemned the church's teachings and praised the devil? So was was he so he was the lawyer of record for a bunch of rats, a windmill, or a, a devil book? Who was he defending in ecclesiastical court in 16th century France? Oh, I'm thinking one or three, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm going to go with one. Okay. All right, I'll diversify and go with three. I gave you A, B, and C, so I'm not oh, sure a, what a, these numbers a. are. Oh, I got it. C. Lindsay goes with a group of rats that had eaten the crops, and Allie goes with C, a devil-worshipping uh, book. We will find out what, what or who or which thing Bartholomew defended. In 16th century France, right after this. In the podcasting world, the people are represented by two equally important groups. The first group is Allie and Lindsay. They investigate the internet. The second group is the Patreon subscribers. Those at the $10 or more level, these are their names. Wesley Cordell, Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Kathy Phillips, Matthew Scott, Melissa Elliott, William, Kelsey Marie, Jessica Kybell, and Ken M. Thank you all for all of the work that you do in keeping this podcast on the right side of justice. If you would like to be on the right side of justice, please consider donating at the $10 or more level at patreon.com slash 2G1P. I currently have an empty urn for free. 
had contained my pet dog, Dino, but my cat, Felix, got suspicious, and Dino, well, you know, fell. The urn is still nice enough for another loved pet, or a mother-in-law, or relative of similar liking. Email me for pickup time and place. Thanks, Josh. and reduce, reuse, recycle, I'm on board. I know. I think that this is a great use. They, they Also, they could just use it as a vase, right? Like, <laughs> aren't urns the type of shape that you could just put water and flowers in? Yeah, and you said you want to be a tree. Like, this, this pet has the opportunity to let some of his ashes... You know, nurture the future. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Imagine exactly. if you just grew a plant in your mother-in-law's ashes. Interesting. I think there's a process, but yeah. Anyway, I just want to point out, y'all, that our trivia is taking place in the whatever, the 16th century, but yes. Alexander Dumas was writing in the 1800s, so that's the 19th century. So sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. Sorry. Did you right. Thank you for yourself? correcting. She yeah, fact-checked it. I did. Yep. That's good. I did. 2G1P will not be a source for misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> and The Count of Monte Cristo is one of my favorite novels, and I was like, that wasn't being written in the 1500s. <laughs> Should I read that? Yes. It's very good. It's quite long, but it's very good. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Let's find out. Is it A or C? Rats or critique of the church? Is it rats or books or windmills? Nobody chose it. It's not uh, windmills. What, what or who or where was Bartholomew Chazenet? Uh, why is he notable in the legal profession? He was defending something from a, a lawsuit brought by the Catholic Church in 16th century France. Lindsay chose a group of rats that had eaten barley. <laughs> Nobody chose the windmill that maimed children. Allie went with the anonymous devil-worshipping book that was making the rounds. Uh, everyone's sticking with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. For the answer... Uh, I'm going to play a clip from a a YouTube channel that I was not familiar with before researching this. Mm. It is Historia Civilis. Uh, It just does a lot of Roman history, but but also European history as well. And this was a very interesting beginning of a a video that they had produced. So uh, take a listen. Nearly 500 years ago, in the town of Autun, France, a young lawyer named Bartholomew Chassinet took on a case defending a group of young troublemakers against erroneous criminal charges brought forward by the Catholic Church. Facing off against the church was a really big deal, especially for a young, ambitious lawyer. And after a series of clever legal tricks, he prevailed. Oh yeah, also, his clients were a bunch of rats. Woo! Lindsay gets it right. Yeah, you little troublemakers. <laughs> it, it comes from a video called uh, Can Animals Commit Crimes? And this is the story of this case is is written about in, in legal documents in the 1900s and beyond. It's like when we think of animals, we just think that they are doing their things. But like there have been times in history where lawsuits have been brought against animals, which is weird to think about. Uh, Farmers were upset that uh, a bunch of rats had eaten the local barley crop, so they appealed to the church, and the church, for some reason, was like, yeah, let's sentence those rats to something. Death, (laughs) justice, expulsion. And so in order to sort of make a name for himself, I guess he was sort of up and coming in the legal world. He's like, I will take, I will defend these rats. 
and basically just did a bunch of tricks in the court. So the court like had to provide legal notice that the rats should appear. And then, of course, the rats didn't appear. And then he was like, <laughs> well, there's cats everywhere. There's like literally like assassins in the streets. You can't literally expect rats to appear in court if they're going to be murdered in the streets. And I guess the judge was like, technically you're right so they kept posting these notices and he kept stalling and i think the the moral of the story is that the court just gave up they were like who they just forgot about the case because he kept putting it off and putting it off so essentially he won the case for the rats by doing all these little tricks and uh he uh, went on to become a successful lawyer in his career, I suppose. That is ridiculous. Were so many people illiterate that they just looked over the fact that rats can't read the notices? <laughs> right. Like, um, have you seen the documentary Ratatouille? Mm, uh, uh, yeah, he doesn't read. I don't know. It sounds like he can read. I don't know. I watched it and I felt like he could read. I just felt like he can cook. He can probably he, read. He cooks on intuition. I think he can read. He spoke English. I think You he, think everybody that speaks English can read? You know, I think that Ratatouille was a documentary and that he could read. Okay, so I'm sticking with it. Remy can... can That's his name, Remy. Oh, Remy yeah. can do anything. Exactly. Including now read. She's with me. <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, I think maybe it's time to welcome our guest. I would love that because I have a lot of questions. Yeah, same, same, same. <laughs> you know him, you love him, and so do we. It's Paul Singer back with us. He is a partner at Kelly dry and warren which means yes y'all he's a lawyer but we like him okay hi paul and welcome well thank you so much for having me back um i'm excited to be on again and yes i'm one of the few likable lawyers so uh i'm, <laughs> I'm happy happy to fill, fill that void for you guys <laughs> that's some kind of self-hating situation <laughs> no it's okay. facts my, okay but my whole family is lawyers so be careful, and y'all. You only like two of them. <laughs> what? That's not true. <laughs> Just kidding. Show me another profession where we all like to make fun of ourselves and are like take pride in the number of jokes there are about how much people hate us. I mean, that's that's what we live for. That's why we're yeah, here. Yeah, right. They're the comics of the corporate world. That's right. We're down on ourselves before you can do it. <laughs> that's how you start any good stand-up bit. So you know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. All right. All okay. Right. Let's get back to the the business at hand. I'm never the person to do this, but I think we are talking about something very interesting and weird and probably going to overtake us very soon. So it's good that we know what's happening. So Paul, can you tell us what kind of law and exploration you kind of have found your way into? I am currently uh, a co-chairing a state attorney general defense practice um, at our firm, Kelly Dry. Basically, what that means is, is I'm sort of in the weeds on all things at a state level, different policies and, and consumer protection positions and priorities that come out of attorney general offices in particular. And this sort of, you know, comes from my background, which I spent over 20 years working at the Texas Attorney General's office. Um, and really there, I handled a, a variety of technology-driven um, enforcement actions. So this, these, these areas of sort of evolving technology, what's available on the internet, um, and then how consumers, the end consumer, right, ends up utilizing those different tools and what can happen to them. That's the sort of broad area that I've been looking at for, you know, now close to 25 years. Wow. So you know 
what's going to happen to us when Skynet takes over. That's like you're looking into that. That That's the terrifying thing that is on <laughs> the horizon, right, that everybody points to is, you know, one day, um, you know, technology is going to outsmart us and realize that, you know, we should just be squashed. I, I like to take a far more optimistic view of what the future is going to lead. I think technology has opened all sorts of amazing doors for us that that we never even thought possible. Now, you know, as as artificial intelligence grows, I think we're right to to be cautious in in you know what we do and how much we depend on that that technology to to change our lives, right? Because at the end of the day. I don't think there's any replacement for a good human being and and the kind of things that, that, that we bring to the table. Yeah. You know, it's just funny to me because we've had how many doomsday movies about AI and yet <laughs> the techies are moving full speed ahead with like no regard for it. I just learned a few days ago that there's a sci-fi series where the AI surpasses us, but really likes us. And it's just like, you want to go across the galaxy? So I like this optimism that I'm hearing about. Yeah, benevolent AI. That's yeah. so funny because I think that if the AI take over and decide they don't need us, it will be because we are bad. You know what I mean? Like humans will be misusing the AI and mistreating it and like using it for baser purposes. But if we are elevating it to like, hey, this is a very useful tool. We respect how this tool is helping us. Then there's no reason for the AI to cast us off once they realize they don't need us, you know? Yeah. I heard a fascinating lecture recently on that exact point, right? That ultimately the AI learns from us, right? Mm -hmm. And so the kind of values that we teach the AI are what it's going to in turn spit back at us when it realizes it's way smarter than we are, than, than we are right? So that's, I, I, I do think that there is something to that. And, you know, I think that you'll see as we talk about some of these issues that can arise with AI, one of the big areas that people have focused on is bias that, that emerges in this, these technologies. And that bias also is coming from the human inputs that, that mm -hmm. are creating it, right? So at the end of the day, it's still driven by human understanding, by human prejudices. All of that is going to filter into this underlying technology. And that's why just being thoughtful about how we approach it is probably the, the most critical first step. Well, let's talk specifically about Do Not Pay. So Do Not Pay is an app uh, that I have used, and I forget what it's synced with, like your credit card or something, and show you um, subscriptions that you could cancel that you're being billed for. And then it would argue traffic tickets for you. There's a variety of things. Although I will say that like the only the service that I used worked for me wonderfully for like a couple months and then stopped working. So I don't know how great this app is, and I'm not endorsing it. <laughs> but now they're offering a robot lawyer, you know. And that's why we have our real lawyer to tell us what that's, <laughs> that's going to be like. Well, um, you know, I, look, I think that there are a lot of issues that come up when you you say the phrase robot lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> a great sitcom is the first one that I'm Exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's so much to be had with robot lawyer. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think that there's sort of like the initial ethical considerations that come into the practice of law. For me to be a lawyer, I have to be, I have to have taken a bar exam, I have to be licensed, and then I have to maintain ethical responsibilities that are spelled out in an ethical code that 
you know, I have to meet whenever I am representing someone or, you know, performing any sort of legal service. Now, how you can guarantee that, you know, one, a robot is actually competent to be licensed and, you know, can actually become licensed is, is sort of step one. And then how do you oversee and guarantee that that robot is ultimately adhering to the ethical standards that you have to meet in order to practice law, that's where I think you get into a really, really gray area that I think raises some fascinating ethical questions that may become and, and prove to be prohibitive of, of really, you know, fully embracing this concept that, you know, a, a robot could essentially replace a lawyer. There, there still has to be some level of human oversight who, from a licensed attorney for this to ever really work. And, and I don't really, I, I struggle with how that oversight could ever guarantee that you are complying with the standards that we have to comply with as, as attorneys. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what do you think specifically of do not pays gimmick? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think the big one, right, that, that made them in the news recently was their their offer to give anyone a million dollars to basically put, you know, AirPods in and go into the Supreme Court and mimic whatever argument their technology spits out. That I see as extremely problematic. Like I, I, I know, first of all, I think it violates the court's rules in terms of what technology you can bring into the courtroom. But But even beyond that, as an attorney, I have to be competent with what I'm arguing, right? I have to go in and know that I am educated on this area of law. I have to be able to then talk about that area in the courtroom in a way that, you know, actually ensures that I know what I'm talking about, right? That I've actually done, studied the case law. I know that what I'm reporting is is accurate. Yeah, we know you don't want to be replaced, but... <laughs> <laughs> but can you be? But, but, well, <laughs> because apparently this, the do not pay is sending its first quote-unquote, robot lawyer on February 2nd. Right. So (laughs) is it even legal? Like, I I mean, of course, law is not (laughs) caught up with this, but, like, it is happening. And so, you know, is a judge allowed to throw out that case? Like, what does that mean that it is happening? So so my understanding is that they're using it in, like, traffic court situations where an individual is representing themselves and basically relying on, you know, the, the answers and the arguments that are being generated by the technology. Mm-hmm. That honestly is not unlike what some of the tools that lawyers use today and, and frankly have used for quite some time. You know, when, when I started practicing law, you had to get all of your research done in books. You had to go into a big library. You had to look up cases. You then had to get another book to figure out what cases cited that case. It was a complicated mess, right? Now the practice of law involves getting in front of a computer, throwing out like a a standard sentence, and then there is AI that is basically reading your thoughts and sentence and trying to interpret what the most relevant case law and support would be for whatever proposition you're saying. I mean, so that that already exists, right? Same thing if I am looking through documents and trying to find like that one smoking gun document, it used to be that you would sit in a room with giant boxes of paper and have all this team of people going through it. Now we train computers um, to use an algorithm and look at, you know, here's, here are the, here are some relevant documents. Now you go look in those 10 million other documents and find me ones that are relevant. That's okay. Right. And, and in fact, I think the use of that technology 
is encouraged and it it also is probably required for attorneys to understand how to use that technology because that's the only way they can stay competent and they can stay up with with the times and so i, I honestly i don't see their tool as necessarily something that is inherently illegal it's kind of what you do with it that could create a problem because ultimately all that it is doing is that same kind of analysis for you it's taking this complicated problem giving you relevant information from an attorney standpoint though it's a question of whether you have looked at this from a nuanced perspective of you know the particular matter at hand and you feel comfortable making these particular arguments mm-hmm. wow well it seems like there's just a host of of issues in the sense that technically i suppose this robot lawyer is listening um and then typing out arguments in response but in a courtroom don't all parties have to consent to being recorded i mean i know it's not fully recorded but you know and how do pe- how can people even monitor if this technology is being used at all like you know will they how do they even force people to dis- to disclose or well yes i mean you're raising some of these these key points that are problematic just in terms of like the ethical requirements different courts are have different rules about you know recording i will say for the most part you're right you can't come in and have something listening and then sending information to where right which i think actually gets to a bigger point about the use of the technology is you have a responsibility as an attorney to then understand at least at a basic level what is this technology doing i'm providing what inputs right like is it listening all the time is it gathering this information from everyone in the courtroom is it only hearing the arguments of the other side is it listening to the whispers in the back of the room where is it sending all that information and then what happens with it right how does it take that information look at it analyze it and at a base level like what what is it then using to then spit out a response because if you don't understand those basic questions about how the technology is being used you can't competently try to argue to a judge oh no 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 this is just another resource tool that lets me help identify relevant case law right that's that's where i think you have to really really understand what's happening before you can fully utilize it what ali was saying about consent makes me think that you actually can't have an ai argue a case all on its own for a long time now because inherently computers can't consent to things they have to be used as a tool so there has to be like a human lawyer right it's like to what extent is this just a fancy marketing gimmick and it's just a step above being able to google in the courtroom but like are you allowed to google in the courtroom there are computers there i am yeah and i've had a judge literally at mid mid case right google from the bench and he and he even said like, well, I'm not supposed to do this because this isn't really the right way to introduce evidence. I don't like but this story. <laughs> I just googled, right? I mean, because because again, like the judge is comfortable with that. He understands that you know this is a tool and resource that everybody is using these days, and that we know that it's going to give me the the kind of factual answer that I need to look at. Because in that case, it really was relevant, like what kind of responses were coming back when you did a Google search for a particular query. So he he was really actually testing it out himself and seeing what was happening. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, is this 
sort of a marketing ploy? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's, that's why this generated a lot of publicity when this offer was made. But it shouldn't take away from the idea that we are continually expanding those underlying tools to give us the ability to identify what's the most relevant argument and most powerful argument so that we can better represent our clients. And, you know, we're, we're talking about all this in the context of like physically being in a courtroom making an argument. I mean, remember, like a lot of what attorney work is, is sitting in the background writing briefs and writing, doing legal research and writing memos and things that you're putting to paper. This is the kind of technology that is just the next evolution of, you know, the, the kind of legal research tools and writing tools that exist to where I, I can see people using this kind of technology to just spit out a brief and say, like, here are the relevant arguments. And, you know, I just cut down your time, lawyer, that you have to spend on this significantly, but you're still putting your name on it and you still have to take responsibility for the contents of that document. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea that things can be faster and more efficient, but like you said earlier, the things that are doing this research are built by biased people and we're not really trying to lessen that bias at this point. We're just trying to use it as quickly and as much as possible to get it out there is what it feels like at least. I think that that is a legitimate concern and it is one that I've seen in my practice area at a state level. This is something that in consumer protection enforcers are really, really paying attention to is that exact point, right? Is that are we rushing to use technology without fully understanding just fundamentally, is it working right? You know, it, or is it spitting out, you know, a, a biased result that was completely unintended, but do we even recognize that and know that, or are we figuring that out well after it's already been used. And there are horror stories that you can read about and that, that go back over the last several years of, you know, different programs unintentionally discriminating against against females and, and you know, and different races and things that were not intended in the coding of it, but it's things that just get built in for whatever reason from sometimes from the inherent biases of the people that are filling it with that base knowledge that it uses to then expand and, and grow from. So it, it is a real, real concern. It's an area that states are starting to pass laws to address, but making sure that the technology is bias-free is going to be probably one of the biggest challenges that we have to before we can ever fully embrace it. Yeah. I think that Do Not Pay has like a kind of a for-the-people Robin Hood mindset for how they're at least initially utilizing this ability. Am I correct in that idea? I agree with you, Lindsay. I think that's like how they're going to start. You know what I mean? That's the yeah. wedge. It's like they're, they're starting in a good place, but the jump from wh where they started to now being like the world's first robot lawyer, where they're with the way they're advertising themselves is like kind of a an intense leap, in my yeah, opinion. That's, that's the gimmick. The, uh, this conversation is making me think about it more now as a as a consumer tool. And the analogy that I'm thinking about is if I cut my finger, I can probably Google or go on YouTube to figure out how to apply pressure and stop the bleeding, and I'll be fine. I don't have to go to a doctor. So that has taken a doctor's visit, the work of a doctor away from a doctor, because I had a tool that allowed me to fix it myself. 
in the same way that I could use a robotic system to search through case law to fight a traffic ticket. But if I have cancer, I'm not going to be Googling around to solve the cancer. I mean, I'm going to go to yeah, a doctor. Yeah, you will, girl, but it won't you, you, save you. You but, still need a doctor. But it, I still need a doctor. And I yep. still need a lawyer if I've been ensnared by the FBI to do what. I, so will lawyers have less work because I can go to a website and, and fight a thing? Well, will they be taking the jobs of like the paralegals and the assistants and secretaries first? Yeah, that's yeah. a great question. That Thank you. That's what yeah. I'm trying to say. And, and I think that that's, that is a fair question. And I think that that is a likely area that you're going to see start to whittle away, right? The support services can become automated and you can rely on technology to do things that, you know, we used to have to rely on people to do in the same way that, you know, you used to have to have that whole team of people that could look through all the paper in the boxes. You don't need them anymore, right? Those people that you have seen sort of trimming down of those kind of ancillary support services throughout all sorts of professional fields. And I think this is going to be the next evolution of that to where you will see uh, additional trimming and back of, of what kind of support you need. Matt, your, your scenario is sort of a, a, a great example, right? In the medical situation where, where the gray area is, and I think you're going to see it in the legal practice too, is what about the person that has the stomach pain and goes to WebMD and they see 50 different things, including cancer, as, as like the likely diagnosis of them? And, and how many stories have you heard about people that, you know, self-diagnose improperly to a point where at best case scenario, they just create all sorts of panic for themselves. And worst case scenario, they may do foolish things to try to treat illnesses. So you're saying people will be paying more parking tickets than ever before. <laughs> they, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, you, you just it's the kind of thing that there's going to be that gray area where you, you know, think that you can do this yourself because technology is is helping, you know, support you. But you may need to really evaluate whether you should have a trained professional that can help guide you through it. Yeah, that's where education and critical thinking, as we always come back to, of like, can I solve this with an algorithm? Cool. Sh can't, or is this a bigger problem? Like, you, the person, have to be educated enough to decide that. And one other thing before we move on. I, I just have to point out this self-evident thing of like automation, this notion of like automation replaces jobs and it makes new jobs. Sure. But the coal miners, the secretaries, the service workers are always the ones who get nailed by this. The, the less educated, the marginalized people will be replaced first and foremost, and highly educated people will continue to have a role. Okay. First of all, I have two thoughts. Responding directly to what Matt is saying about who gets replaced and how that alters society, like the, I think that we're honestly going to go back to a time where we have like actual people helping us in ways that we thought we could automate already and we actually weren't ready to automate. Like when it first happened where you call in and you get an automated voice, everyone was like, ew, gross. Now we're just used to hearing an automated voice give us instructions before we get to talk to a person. But Everyone is like, I'm pressing zero until I get a person. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> like, representative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speak to a representative. Uh, and then customer service agent. You know, you're like, you're, you're yelling. So there are things that even though the customer service agent is probably going to tell me what 
this automated system is that I didn't wait for. There are ways that people just enjoy interacting with other people. And there are going to be more and more services where that happens. And if I get a smart customer service agent who is really helpful and kind, I'm like, you're the best company ever. I will continue to use your business because I hate that other shit. Everyone knows that I was caught up in the Southwest rigmarole over the holidays. And the, the things that I went back to are the two actual human people that were capable and helped me, quote unquote, helped me. One of them just straight up said, look, I don't know what's going on and I cannot help you. What I can do is offer you this like small apology voucher. You know what I mean? And I still have a very pleasant memory of her, even though she didn't really do anything to help me get home. She was like, look, I'm going to tell you the truth. And a robot can't do that. A robot will just keep giving you the same two options. Well, that's pretty racist against robots like that. You just don't <laughs> think they would have uh, I'm here to say I'm probably a little bit bigoted against robots. Um, but a robot can't tell you the truth. Get the T-shirt now and the two G one B shirt. It can only it can only it can only tell you the truths it knows. Uh, to play devil's advocate, I have used Chat GPT, and yeah, it's not that smart. There were a lot of errors, but it was interesting to use as a tool. I had to use it several times to get it to generate kind of what I wanted. But anyway, but it's going to get so much better, so so yeah. so much better, right? So yeah, right now we are preferring. The people, but also we are old, old millennials. So the next generation, millennials, they might not feel that way. So, well, look, I mean, I think I think the conversation we're having is one that happens in corporate America, too. Right. Which is, you know, to, to where is the balance between the cost effectiveness and ease of which technology can replace humans versus for things like customer service, you cannot replace that human touch and that human interaction. Everyone has been frustrated at times. I, I too was stranded at the airport and was like on the verge of tears because simply because I could not find a human being that you could mm-hmm. talk to. You either had to stand in a line for six hours or get on hold for 24 hours to talk to a human being. And all you want is that comfort and, and just personal touch that happens with a human interaction like that. I, I still think, look, the technology is going to get smarter, but I find it hard to believe that we are ever going to fully replace that. Like yeah. you can make the smartest technology ever to where it's, you're even confused when you call, whether it's a person or a robot that you're talking to, but there is no replacement for that human touch. And, and, and corporations know it. And so I think we're going to all rush to the use technology because it's cool and it's fun. I mean, the people that are, are using AI that you hear about are people that like to go online and generate really cool art using, you know, the, these, these different generators, you know, having fun chatting with, with people that are long dead on different services, right? I mean, like, that's where we're, we're getting an entertainment value out of it. But long term, I, I just think there's going to be a balance and we're going to swing back to, to needing people to f- play those critical roles because we just we rely on that human interaction so much in our lives. Well, uh, back to this robot lawyer, I think that it's funny because law kind of is 
behind on having to face this, you know, like doctors have already faced it. As we've said, you know, you can go and just put your symptoms into a thing. It'll be like, this is likely what you have. You can call your general practitioner now if you want to, you know what I mean? But like that's cutting out at least three people that you would have to talk to. And now we're all annoyed that our doctor is asking the preliminary questions. It's like, you know what? I know what I want you to think about. (laughs) I'm here because I have this, this, this symptom. And, you know, I don't need to fill out eight pages of paperwork for you to give me, you know, a suggestion of getting NyQuil. So now people are doing this this, and the law is going to have to face this. People are like, Mm -hmm. this is the strategy that I think we should go into the courtroom with. And the lawyers are going to be like, okay, well, you know, they can't just say, I went to law school and I know everything because there's going to be a database where it's like, these three cases are similar to my case and I want us to argue it in this way. And it will be a, a, a very different sort of playing ground, I think, for for lawyers who are now having to look at the horizon of what is to come. So, Lindsay, you are spot on, right? I think mm-hmm. that is exactly right. And I think that, that that is a critical question that lawyers need to be asking themselves, not only because they have to think about how that impacts their relationship with their clients in the future and what kind of response you might get from a client if, if you're representing them in a certain matter, but As a lawyer, just like in other professional services, I have a responsibility to also keep up with that technology. It's on me to also know that there are these services that can do this analysis at a whole different level than anything I've ever experienced or used before, because I should be incorporating that into my daily practice as well. That absolutely can mean that it, it reduces your, your, the number of jobs that might exist right now. But what's fascinating is that it also then can create new jobs that never existed before. And so, you know, I, I've seen that in the practice of law just in my brief time where the, the shift to all sort of document review becoming electronic instead of paper, it allowed firms to shed you know, the number of people that might have been staffed to actually do that kind of physical doc review, but now they've had to hire people that actually can use and understand the underlying software that helps you do doc review, right? So like there are, there, it's, it's not so much in my mind that it's a replacement, but it's an evolution of the kind of roles that you have to have within that professional service. Yeah. Well, you were just saying, you know, it's created new jobs, but, you know, I think, it is reasonable to expect that it will get rid of more jobs than it will create. So what do you think is a solution? Is there a reskilling of the workforce that needs to happen? And if so, in which direction? Or do you think universal basic income is actually a plausible solution? I I mean, I do think there's going to have to be some sort of, you know, reskilling that 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 takes place, because, again, I, I just think that as technology evolves, we don't even know at this point what kind of roles we're going to rely on for people to be providing us in the future. We have to sort of see how things develop to really understand what are those basic skills that, you know, everyone's going to need to have in order to get out and and be a part of the workforce in the future. I think all of that's going to be coupled with what we talked about, where there is still going to be a strong desire, and, and even in corporate America, to keep that human element and human touch and human interaction throughout their, their business. Because I really do believe that, you know, the customer service example is so, so well 
you know, documented people's frustration with automated customer service. If, if companies, you know, find themselves getting more and more resistance from consumers from, you know, the kind of, of treatment they're getting from some of these automated services, that's what's going to open doors again for, you know, jobs that may, may have gone away to, to sort of resurface and come back. So, so it's sort of a, a, a reskilling, but also I think at the end of the day, it comes down to what we as humans are, are ultimately willing to accept and deal with in our daily lives and how much we're going to resist the idea that, you know, everything should just become automated and that we don't have to deal with humans anymore. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so torn because I love humans. And when you said we don't have to deal with humans anymore, I was like, that sounds cool. But I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm, my friends are like, you're the most extroverted extrovert. And then also I am like, but people can be so bad. Sure. Yeah. It's both. The world is pretty gray. <laughs> when, when, when COVID hit, I think most people were kind of relieved of like, oh, we get to stop <laughs> having to go interact with so many people all the time. I can like hole up and be by myself. And people welcomed that. I heard a lot of people that really enjoyed it for a couple Not weeks. Not me. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, the girl was struggling. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen another person in so long. I just remember when we only thought it was going to be two weeks. I was like, this yeah. will be a weird two weeks. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think most of us lived in a state of denial about how yeah. serious it was until it really hit. And, and you know, I think we, we all, I mean, I, I can tell you my personal experience of like, you spend a couple weeks, you're isolated, you get your sort of downtime. And I was one who immediately was looking for ways to do more interaction, like how, how let's do Zoom happy hours, which like in concept is still one of the silliest things I've, I've ever thought of. I'm going to watch <laughs> other people on video drinking while I drink too. Like, I mean, I, I, I like as close as we can come to having that, that relationship with other people that we all strive for. And, and I really do think that's, that has to play into anybody's adoption of technology in the future. And I actually think that the pandemic made us more appreciative of interaction and more intentional with who we give our time and energy to, at least in the beginning. I think people are back to just, people are just back. The world is back to basics, people, and people are acting wild. I think about the generational impact too. And we think a lot about like, great grandma, you know, she was around during the depression. So she really saves everything. Like our kids and grandkids will be like, grandpa lived during the pandemic and he's this way or that way about social or societal things. And I'm eager to see what that becomes. I think that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a great point. Yeah. It'll be like our, our grand, they back up everything because of the great digital blackout. They have it on yeah. 16 <laughs> different hard drives. That too. I'm doing that now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They fortify their homes because the weird robots um, had took over and, and attacked us all in the, in the early 2000s. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, but it's like, I, I, I you know, I, we go back to like the Skynet, you know, example at the beginning and it's, it's, there has been so much like emphasized about the horrors of what could come that, you know, I, I look, I agree with y'all that, that there are 
inherent risks with embracing technology too fast and too quickly without thinking about some of these consequences and as well as some of the, you know, inherent problems that can arise with the technology. But there's so much value add that it comes when you think about our lives today and the ease in which we can access information and, you know, look at things a different way than our grandparents could have done. Like that's, that's pretty cool in my mind. Like I really, I, I appreciate and value the growth that we've had. It's just important to me that we don't lose sight of the fundamental things that make us human beings when we do it. I'm hopeful for a high tech, low tech future, like in Star Wars, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe even a more like Star Wars meets Star Trek because I mean in Star Wars they're they're basically like farmers with talking tractors but in Star Trek like they have iPads and they have and I think that if we do like a high tech low tech sort of integration where it's basically like Instagram influencers. I love being in nature, but I also need my phone. You know, I think that if we can get there and then have the technology integrated in a less oppressive, invasive way, we'll we'll have a good balance. It's just when we get to like Skynet, uh, Battlestar Galactica level, it's too it's too much. I love I love the nerdy sci-fi angle that we have now turned this conversation <laughs> into because like the idea of a combined uh, Star Trek Star Wars world in our future is makes me the happiest. That's the happiest. <laughs> I, I, I I am so happy right now. Like that 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 that's what I'd love to see because I think you're right. Like those are the those are the good qualities that you can see where people are maintaining those aspects of humanity, but still letting technology make our our humanity grow and be even better. Yeah. Well, here's my question for you as we head to a wrap. What are the main things that you think perhaps our listeners could do or what are the main guardrails that people need to start thinking about now and maybe maybe even action items? You know, to, to me, it's I'd say one, don't don't fear technology, right? Like I, I do think that there are such valuable uses of, you know, the adoption of AI in so many different fields that are going to make doctors better doctors and lawyers better lawyers and, and things that we should really appreciate about that. But at the same time, I think I encourage people to question everything, right? Question the underlying technology. Who came up with this? How is it being rolled out? How, what are the inputs that are that are generating the kind of responses that we're relying on? Where is my information going? What are people doing with that? All of that is just like relevant things that we need to, as individuals, be doing to protect our own personal interests and to make sure that when we rely on AI and other technology that we're doing so with our eyes wide open, right? And we understand the limitations that it may have. And so, you know, I I just encourage people to, to question everything and really be thoughtful in their eagerness to embrace evolving technology because, while it can be a wonderful tool, if we don't really understand how that tool works, it can also become a weapon or something dangerous. And so we just have to remember that as, as we're changing um, into this new age. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And we're really glad that the robots are coming for you first. That's right. Thank <laughs> you, guys. I'm glad that I can be sort of the, the one you throw out in front um, and buy you guys a little time. So that's I, I appreciate so that Thank I fill so that role. Yes. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Wow. Always a delight to talk to Paul and learn things that I didn't go to law school for. Well, you don't you don't have to because now you have a robot lawyer. I know. I was like, you know what? Now that you don't have to do all the reading, I think maybe I'll go back to law school. JK, JK. Um, I think I should tell my parents that I have a lawyer boyfriend. He's a robot lawyer and he's my boyfriend. <laughs> I carry him in my so pocket pleased. wherever I go. He's my robot lawyer boyfriend. You know? Oh my God. <laughs> we can pretend that didn't happen. I, I can't wait to watch the web series. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I venture to say it's like a really much more advanced Siri, right? Like we've had voice assistants and no one was like, but because we didn't call it AI, everyone was like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we started, but companies called it AI, but yeah. it was, it's really just a database query of like, Siri, what's, what is this? And then it just searches the web as you would type. And then it just tells you information by voice. That's not smart. Right, right. The technology behind it is different. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not explaining things. It's just Googling for you without your fingers. It's so stupid. I'm on calls all the time and my Google home starts talking to me. Uh, right, right. Yeah, that's I'm like, crazy. I am not talking to you. But I remember five years ago as Alexa was coming, it was becoming super popular, three to five years ago, and people were like, AI is so stupid. It'll never be good. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Who said that? That's, Everybody I know not... was like, ah, they're coming for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, make sure you turn it off. It's listening to you all the time. I mean, that is probably true. It is true. The, the other thing I wanted to separate briefly is that is like the actual technology, the bones from the, you know, the monetization or the corporatization of it, like being able to communicate. Uh, via text or voice to anyone in the world instantaneously is a fucking miracle. But a company like sucking your personal data and spying on you in exchange for that miracle is the actual problem. And that and the bias is the problem. And the interme like the intermediary between you and the other human trying to have a conversation, go to the doctor, go to court, that intermediary interference, which is powered by money and shareholders is the actual thing that I'm most afraid of as we have discussed at length here and other places. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't even talk about how it's just going to be utilized in day-to-day -day life. Like kids are going to start using it to do their rough drafts. I would love to use it to do things that I don't like to do, but I'm not good enough at using the AI yet to to get it to do that for me. Yeah, so. because it's still Wild West and it's still sort of experimental and open source the way the early web was. So you have to be techie to utilize it. But the minute a company splashes a brand on it and makes it a super easy app on your phone for free, that's when normals like uh, elder millennials and grandma are going to be using it. And that's where we start to get the shitification of the you thing. You know, I think next we need to talk to a professor and apparently there's a student who created an app that will help professors identify whether they used AI to cheat. There you go. See, Interesting. The, uh, the arms race has begun. I love that. Yeah, we should look at this from education. I think that would be a really interesting episode as well because there's just like, uh, there's a thousand billion implications and I... I don't know. I'm not scared yet, but I am scared <laughs> for the future. I, and I also just don't think that we as a civilization have the humanity and empathy required for the, we, we have not advanced emotionally the way we have advanced technologically that's and a, i think exactly. that's a really bad recipe <laughs> that's perfectly I mean, said we i'm scared of the way we will deal with it not of the technology itself yeah humans 
will be the reason why robots are bad. Yeah, I mean, I think aliens have definitely stopped by and been like, not yet. You know what I mean? Right, right. The, we'll, we'll let them cook a bit more. But let yeah. me think about nuclear. when nuclear technology oh, sure. was discovered, like nuclear power is 100% the solution to global warming and powering everything for the, for the 10 billion people who will live on Earth. It, it's the only fucking answer. It truly is. And also, it could destroy us instantly if we use it the other way. That's the yeah. it's all, that's a that's always what it is with technology. It will it will be a weapon or it will be a savior. It, yeah. And who's who's monetizing, who's governing is going to determine how we do that. Yeah. Dang, y'all. Well, if you have an idea about who should be governing, <laughs> please send it to us. <laughs> at George Santos. Two G. Send it to your ballot box, please. That, would that help. is absolutely the wrong answer. Uh, try again. <laughs> what, a, what a wild story. I, I honestly... We don't have time. Y'all, we, we don't have time to talk about this. But I am shooketh, New York, that no one did a quick Google search on this dude. Like, what? Well, actually, something, something we've talked about on this podcast, not recently, but like... Local journalism is what's really suffered in this whole internet age. And so... Until he got elected to national yeah. government. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Which exactly. is mm -hmm. yikes and a half, bro. Yeah. Because he... This is the epitome. I love how he's doubling down. He's like, yeah, everybody embellishes their resume. I'm like, you made up a whole person. <laughs> Sir? <laughs> Sir. <laughs> Embellishment? No, 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 no. That's like... That's that's like between it's a scratch and I'm bleeding out on the table. That's are very yeah, that's different. like me making mac and cheese and calling myself a chef. You know what I mean? Exactly. Mm. From so, the box, just to specify, it was from the box. Yeah. And George Santos would call you a chef. I mean, it's just wild. It, well, he would call himself a chef if he had made that mac and cheese oh from the box. Oh, my God. Tell the people where to find us, Allie. Uh, all right. Well, I'm at Allie, A-L-L-I underscore G-O-L-D-I across social media. So please follow me. Um, I'm so glad the old Elon Musk debacle has made it so that I don't really need to tweet anymore. But I'm still uh, TikToking and gramming. And where can they find you, Lindsay? I am at The Lindsay Life. Lindsay with an E, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Across all platforms... Including Venmo. <laughs> That's true. Which I'm I, at Allie Goldie on Venmo as well. <laughs> Allie underscore Goldie on Venmo. Yeah. So, you but know, you can. You don't need to Venmo us there. If you yeah, would you consider <laughs> contributing to our Patreon at any amount, patreon.com slash 2G1P, that would make our hearts sing. And come and chat with us in our Discord, which I need to pop into like today, discord.gg slash 2G1P. It's where all the cool kids are and you know it's true. You can also leave us a voicemail. That number is... 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. And you can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. All right. Yeah, that was it. Heart your faces and... If you get an AI to write your cover letter, send it to us. Send it. I want to see the the AI generated like written stuff. I really want to read that. Okay, thanks. I would like to work at job for you. Make money, money. That's Matt's actual cover letter. That's what. Now that's you know. how I got this job. Let me tell you. <laughs>
podcast is synthesized by Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford, then neuro-linked into Elon Musk's prefrontal cortex, I mean produced by Matt Silverman in New York City. This episode was edited by Avital Ayler. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.